the Dragonlance Nexus is proud to present the Dragonlance Canticle. Greetings, friends and fellow companions, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Dragonlance Canticle. My name is Megan. Ed McKeel is here with me as well. We are talking to a very special guest. Mr. Richard Knack is the author of 11 Dragonlance novels, including the New York Times bestseller, The Legend of Huma. Also, Kaz the Minotaur, Land of the Minotaurs, Reavers of the Blood Sea, The Citadel, The Minotaur Wars Trilogy, and The Ogre Titans Trilogy. He's also delved into the worlds of Diablo and Warcraft, as well as his long-running Dragon Realm series. His latest release is called Of Dragon's Blood, and it is the newest in the Rex Dracana series, which even has its own 5e-compatible game setting on DriveThruRPG. His books are available in print, in Kindle format, and on Audible on Amazon right now, so please check them out when you're done listening. Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So The Legend of Huma is a perennial favorite among Dragonlance fans, Um, and Kaz, Kaz the Minotaur specifically, is a fan favorite character. Um, your novels have had a great influence on the world of Dragonlance. And I feel as if where we are right now in 2023, we're at this uh, strange crux point where anything that was done in the 80s has become fuel for, uh, fuel for nostalgia. There's books coming out now, podcasts, uh, YouTube series, sort of deconstructing the history of D&D and TSR. But what we would, what I would love to have is your perspective as an insider, somebody who is, somebody who is really there uh, back, in, back in the golden years as we perceive them. Um, so what I would like to know, uh, if you wouldn't mind, please sharing, uh, share how you came to become involved with TSR, and specifically how you came to write The Legend of Huma. Well, there's quite a bit in that story, but uh, the basics are is um, I had already written and and, uh, submitted some fantasy material to the different publishers, almost got some bites, but hadn't quite sold anything yet. Um, However, I lived at a time in the suburb of Chicago, and the publishers of D&D and Dragonlance in particular were located up in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. So basically an hour and a half away from me. At the After talking with uh, another family member, I decided to take two of my writing samples, novel-length ones, and I literally drove up to Lake Geneva and walked through the front doors and asked if I could speak to the editors. Uh, after the after the uh, somewhat of the surprise of actually hearing all this, the uh, receptionist contacted the book editor Pat McGilligan, and he came out to talk to me. I, he politely listened to what I said and, and he accepted my writing samples and said that if I didn't hear from him in a couple of weeks, I should give a call. Well, of course, I didn't hear from him in a couple of weeks, and I figured the worst case. So I called, but I called up anyway. And I think apparently he was tested. You know, they were trying to see how eager I was. Because he said we really like your writing style, but right now we're only concentrating on this one new this one series we have called Dragonlance. And he said, now we, we love the way you handle certain types of material in that vein. So if you're interested in submitting some ideas, we have three anthologies that we're planning. And he gave me the subject matters, and he said, uh, so what do you think? You think you want to try it? And I said, sure. So I quickly went out and bought all the the books that are available. I believe the entire first trilogy was out, 
and part of of uh, legends. And so I ran through, I read through all of them, really got caught up into the world, saw some elements that I really would like, that I wanted to pursue. And so I, and so I submitted four ideas to them, hoping they'd pick one. Actually, they, they picked three. <laughs> so and it was only, there was only three anthologies. So <laughs> basically one in a story a piece. So, so I uh, started writing those stories and um, they not only liked all three stories, they, they, agreed to publish them in the, in the anthologies. Uh, at one point, actually, because of a space situation, I might have even able to get that fourth story, and by then, other things were going on, which we'll go into later. Um, I, my first story was called Wayward Children, um, which involved a draconian patrol in a supposed Elwood village. I made one mistake there, because of, but a minor one, but, but of course, my first question was, why do your elves in the stories have beards? <laughs> I said, well, it went... <laughs> I said, well, it got past the editors. <laughs> but, uh, but I also pointed out that, and this, and this better not be a spoiler, this this so long ago, I also pointed out that these weren't really elves. Oh. So, uh, that did help there. So, But uh, but more importantly then, the second story that was published was in a, in a in the volume called Kenders, Gully Dwarves, and Gnomes, mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. supposed to be about the minor races of Krim. Yeah. Now, me being me, I didn't choose any of those three races. I picked the one that, because of my fascination with, with mythology as a, even as a young child, I picked the Minotaurs because I saw they had Minotaurs listed as an entire race in here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Now, of course, all it said was basically that Minotaurs were monsters, and yet they have an empire, and they have a sole code of honor. I'm like, wow, these are really nice min- monsters. <laughs> so... So I hooked on that part about the sense of honor, and I said, and honor's always been a big thing with my with my work. Uh, and I I thought, well, if they have a sense of honor, and the knights have a sense of honor, what would happen if these two came into collision? So I decided to do to do a comparison uh, with a you know where they contrasted, where they were similar, and that became a story called Definitions of Honor. And that was the first time where you get to see a knight confronting a minotaur. And the story does not go the way it starts. It sounds like it's going to at the beginning, because we learn that um, there are things that minotaurs will do in the name of honor that knights would not do, for instance. Mm-hmm. And that actually, that actually became the prototype, because after the third story, which was about a knight willing to sacrifice himself for his duty, which also kind of ties into what comes next, they contacted me while I was working on one of my own projects and said, we love the way you handled honorable characters like the knights and your two other your two stories. We're looking to do a novel based that, that around the original wielder of the Dragonlance, a character named Huma who lived centuries before the main trilogy. I, I, I knew who he was because of the mentions of him by then. Right, in right. The original book. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they said, would you be interested? They, they better said, would you be interested in writing the novel about him? And I took about two seconds to think about that and I said, <laughs> sure. Wow, that's incredible! So, so you walked in, you walked in the door with a I couple of ideas, off the street, yes. and then yeah. one one thing led to another, you, and you got Legend of Huma. Exactly, exactly. Uh, it just kind of I honestly steamrolled because I sold all three of those stories in that first year, and then they came to me right after the right after the uh, third one was coming out, I think it was, and asked me about the, no, actually before the third one came out even, and asked me about doing the novel. And, uh, you know, they, they saw that I was able to handle novel-length material because I'd given them two novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, they knew I was, I was at least up to doing something that long. 
And um, as a matter of fact, uh, one of those writing samples was called Fire Drake, and I sold it the next year. Uh, It was the first novel in my Dragon Realm series. Awesome. So, So, yeah, I was looking over your... I was looking over your writing and you've got the you've been working on your Dragon Realm series for for a long, long time. First yeah, first book was published in eighty nine, although the book was written itself in eighty five and we'd written a couple times. Um and um I just I just recently released the seventeenth and final novel in that saga. There's a whole bunch of shorter fiction too. And I'm, I'm still actually going to the other side of that world to do a sister saga now called uh, The Ravaged Empire, but that's something else, you know. So anyway, um, you... I started working on the. I'm sorry, go on. Oh no, please go ahead. Uh, I started working on ideas for the for the novel. The first one I submitted to them, they rejected. I don't blame them. Um, the second one, I started halfway through doing that one. I'm like, no, this is not going to work. So I dropped that. The third version was actually borrowed elements from the other two and then added new stuff. And that's the one that will become the, the novel that we that everybody has read. Um, and in that book, I decided I wanted to continue, because I also loved Minotaurs, to continue that, that comparison of, of honor and faith and dedication that both races, both groups apparently had. So um, early on in the story, because I wanted the Minotaur to be a big part of it. I had I had Huma, and because I had only one novel, I had to start him out pretty much as a knight already, because uh, there was so much to have to tell. Um, if I'd started out long before that, we'd have hardly had any of the war and anything that he did. So anyways, it starts out in the war, and one of the first things he does, finds in that, in that uh, war is a prisoner, which he doesn't realize what is at first, and then when he, when he when he does rescue the prisoner from I think it's a bunch of goblins. In a long time since I wrote that, mm-hmm. uh, he finds out that there was an escaped slave soldier, a Minotaur, and the Minotaur thanks him for freeing him and says that that uh, he owes him a debt of honor and that he will fight with, he'll basically fight with him. And uh, and his name is Kaz, obviously. <laughs> and that's that's the legend of Kaz the Minotaur began. Yeah. Exactly. Now, what I, now I'm going to go. Let me give you briefly. A, well, a, a baptism of fire in that thing. Mm-hmm. They 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 liked the idea of the novel. I wrote the novel. It took you know it took a lot of work. It was but it, I thought it was very proud how it turned out. The editors liked it. They uh, it went it went it went on to the next stages. I started working on something else of my own, and uh, then uh, and I was still working a daytime job too. And then I got a uh, phone call from my uh, editor um, at at work. And because, you know, he had my work number just in case he needed to reach me for something. And as it turned out, um, there was a problem with the novel. And at this point, it was in the galley stage. I mean, it was basically, you, if you looked at it, it was basically the way the printed pages of the of the book would be. So I'm like, what could there possibly be at this point? Well, as it turns out, the book, they knew the book was going to sell very, very well. So they there were 400,000 covers already printed up for it. And I thought, wow, 400,000 covers it says... Unfortunately, the the story as it is would not fit between the covers. No, no, it was too thick. Yeah, so they needed to be to uh, edit out. Well, it was the choices of them or me. So in that place, I said, "I'll do it. I'll do it." They 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 said that they wanted to to edit out. I mean, edit out eight, 75 to eighty pages of material. You know, printed pages, not like two two space double spaced papers and stuff. Right. And I said, wow, 75, 80 pages. Okay, I'll do it my best. Says, oh, yes. We also need to do this overnight. 
Oh no! <laughs> this is the baptism like, of what? fire. <laughs> yeah, I said. Well, he says I, I've shipped you. I've shipped the galleys to your to your office. Uh, express mail. I mean, express you know delivery. Said yeah, and um, so that you can pick them up and bring them home. And uh, so I'm like, okay. So I got the I got the I told my my very understanding boss that I was not going to be in the next day. So I uh, basically I, I, as soon as I got home, I started working on the on the editing. I started uh, I, I was able to remove a couple of scenes, uh, but that didn't take very much. Then I started editing uh, short chapters together. You know, so basically, you know, instead of like. 30, I would have 28 or something like that. You know, um, that was sufficient either, obviously. Uh, so I got to the point where I was editing out paragraphs and sentences and even shortening sentences, anything to make lines disappear. Yeah. As long as it kept the story going nicely. Uh, and I basically I worked from about 5 p.m. to I think it was uh, past 3 a.m. and realized anything I did after that was going to be detrimental. <laughs> got a couple hours of yeah, got a couple hours of sleep. Started on again, and then uh, basically um, finished up uh, uh, after just after dinner time. I ate, I ate while I was working, obviously. And then I, because I was uh, close to a FedEx office, I could uh, I went right there, shipped off the manuscript, and then went back to home and fell asleep. So, so basically, I had to, I did I did I removed seventy I removed seventy five to eighty pages of material uh, in all that time period, and, and it worked out. There's only one short little thing that a friend of mine, of course, found, uh, where I where a character where a character uh, loses a weapon, then gets the weapon back, and I deleted out how he gets it back. But fortunately, oh. it's vague enough that <laughs> it, it's vague it's vague enough that that you don't really catch it unless you're someone like my friend, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I'm very pleased how it turned out. But uh, I, like I said, that's that was a baptism of fire. It's like you know, you know. If, Worst case scenario, it's like, oh, you have to delete the, the final some from the final version. Yeah, just just a little. Of it, yeah. Did you have? Did you get to use I'm that sorry. material for another project, or is there just some lost manuscripts uh, out there waiting to be no, discovered? Well, no, it's, no, it's those scenes are really lost. I don't even have the, that paperwork anymore. That stuff got got canned by accident, along with a novel that I never could find again of my own. Um, and believe me, this is this is the days when this is the days when I was using really floppy disks. Mm-hmm. The extra uh, flop, the big black extra floppy kind. Uh, big extra ones. Yeah, I have a whole <laughs> bunch of them for those novels, but and and they got they got just destroyed later on. So I so I anything I anything I did I wrote is gone unless it's in hidden in the archives of the company. And my own novel is lost forever, except in my head. But I'll worry about that one someday. <laughs> but. Uh, but <laughs> I'd like to imagine they'll find them in an old salt mine or something in a hundred years from now. They'll be rediscovered like an old film or something. Some some basement, Mm -hmm. secret basement in the, in the, in in, uh, Lake Geneva, the old building. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There it is. Oh, it's the lost pages of the human. All right. So we have. Yeah. So we have the we have the story of the creation of Legend of Huma. Um, and of course, the Legend of Huma brought us Kaz the Minotaur, who we're here um, really to talk about today. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting. It, it's interesting to me that the the seeds were there all along. Like clearly that was uh, a theme which inspired you and that it 
and and these the stories you wrote for the anthologies sort of it seems like they they kind of helped to flesh out the ideas that eventually would become the friendship between Huma and Kaz and the legend of Huma. So that's oh, very yeah. that's very interesting. Good. It's interesting how it how the the story evolved like that. But it, we it have like a natural prog- progression from from the short story to doing what I did in the novel. Uh, even though, of course, in the short story, the ending is a little bit more bleak in some ways. But uh, actually, I guess they're both bleak. In no one. <laughs> um, well, they. I mean, you say the ending is bleak, but it looks to me as if the the stories are ongoing because it's 2023 now, and we have a brand new Kaz the Minotaur story. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about sort of what we are, what we're, what we've created, what you and Ed and the, and the rest of the team at the Dragonlance Nexus have created. And that is the Journals of Kaz the Minotaur, The Lost Colony. By the time anybody is listening to this, so if you're listening to this, um, then the book is available right now on the DMs Guild. Um, so please head on over there once you're done listening and, and grab yourself a copy. We're going to do sort of a um, a breakdown of what's in the book. This is going to be uh, this is going to be spoiler free, so don't worry if it, if you're a potential player. Um, but we're very excited about this project at the Nexus. We've been talking about this for ages, and all of us have been really eager to see it uh see it in its final form and and i know our listeners um (laughs) are going to be excited as well because uh it's it's something we've been promoting on our facebook group the dragonlance nexus facebook group um and i know people are excited for this product so i want to talk a little bit about what's in this product i'm going to do a brief overview and then we're going to dive in a little deeper like i said there's not going to be spoilers so um fear not listener uh, but this book, The Journals of Kaz the Minotaur, The Lost Colony, it is a source book dedicated to running Minotaur-themed adventures or campaigns in Dragonlance. It includes a deep dive into the lore of the Minotaur, their history, their society, and their religious beliefs. It also includes player options, including subclasses that are perfectly flavored for a Minotaur character. We'll go in a little, into a little bit more detail with those in a little bit. It also includes some ship combat rules because Minotaur are, of course, the legendary seafarers of the Dragonlance setting. And then we'll have some new monsters, some new allies, some new magic items, and some new spells. And in case all of that wasn't enough for you, we also have a, uh, a story by Richard Knack titled The, Lost, uh, sorry, titled the Colony, um, which is a brand new original tale of Kaz the Minotaur and his companions as well as a new 5e adventure called The Lost Colony, which was inspired by the story. So this question is sort of for, um, uh, I'll kick it over to, to you, Ed, to sort of to, to get this started. Um, how did this book, The Journals of Cast the Minotaur, come to be? So how was the process of bringing together all these creative types to, to create a book for the DMs Guild? Well, so honestly, well, first I'd like to say I've been very quiet because this has been story time for me. So Richard, I wanted to say thank you for sharing those wonderful stories from how you began writing through TSR. That is just amazing. And um, I'm gonna go looking through the ruins of uh, of the uh, TSR building to, to go and find those lost pages really soon. Mm-hmm. Just um, but I, I believe, you know, Richard, did, I, I feel like this was something you had come to us with the idea. Is that not correct? Yes, that is correct. I had been 
I've been uh, thinking about this ever since I heard that the setting was available on DMs Guild and uh, seeing what you guys had been producing already for it. And I was, but my, 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 my interest was in, of course, writing a story. Uh, um, and I, at first I thought, oh, I can't do that because all they're doing is gaming mature. They won't let me do any fiction. But then after discussion with, uh, with you guys and a couple other people, I found out that there was uh, room in any pr- in a project for fiction as long as it was, you know, only a certain amount of it. And that's when I started thinking about, well, if I write a story and we kind of base the the adventure around the story, well, that would be a pretty decent thing, wouldn't it? And so I asked you guys, and you guys jumped on the, on the idea right away, uh, seeing it as a, something real exciting and fun to do. So then we just we uh, started, uh, you know, hashing things out, and um, I, you know, and I st- and I went to write the story that I had in mind, which I felt had to take place basically. Pretty much right after Land of the Minotaurs, when it was the last time you see Kaz, you know, living Kaz, as opposed to a spirit, one other story. And um, and, then, and then you guys, kudos to you guys for all the uh, stuff you brought into this, believe me. Well, the beauty of this is this is like a first of its kind. I don't believe that we have ever had a, a book where they're letting us, you know, we're letting you write an excellent short story. And, and I have to say, I have read the short story and I love it. And it was the catalyst for us to go ahead and, and create the adventure that kind of, the adventure begins a little bit before the short uh, story by a few days and then ends towards the actual end of the short story. Um, another thing that I really have to bring up is uh, the cover art. I mean, I don't Richard. Ah, uh, yeah. Getting the cover art for this for this book that from from Mr. Easley was just amazing. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, or will you just let it let it fly? I guess <laughs> we may might not well, be able uh, to speak too much on it. Well, to to, uh, to put it uh, briefly, um, they had long ago changed the um, artwork on Kaz the Minotaur to a, but to one by I, and I can't remember the is Dwayne and I can't remember the rest of the name. Sadly, it's no offense to him. I just yeah, I'm blanking out on it right now, but um, they put a new cover on all the books in the in the Hero series. So I contacted uh, someone I know, one of the people in charge at uh, the company, um, and uh, asked him if it would be possible to get permission to use the original cover for uh, for this uh, project, uh, seeing as how it was seeing as how it was tied into uh, the ends guild and everything and uh, I was very pleased when they when I was told that yes we could use it for this project and uh, everybody else was pleased when I told them we could use it for the project yeah when you uh, say please cause, like cause we were cheering <laughs> cheering yeah yeah okay that's right because because in my opinion Jeff Easley's cover for Kaz the Minotaur is is not only is a is a wonderful piece of art, but it is my favorite rendition of not just Kaz, but of Minotaurs of that type in general. He he, I think I feel he truly caught the kind of Minotaurs that I have been writing about all this time. Uh, I also had the added benefit of that picture, which which oh yes, I mean that picture of course harkens back to the novel, so it's not quite what's in the story, but. I also like the way he captured the the uh, monster element of the novel in that picture too. I mean, the whole the whole piece of art is is just so wonderful, and I am so happy that we got permission to use it on this project. Um, it's got the it, it gives us also recognition. People see that 
and they'll recognize that picture and they'll look and if they don't know anything else about it, they'll they realize oh this is this is stuff about this is stuff about Kaz and it is and it does include a story from from the guy who wrote Kaz the Minotaur and Yuma. So I, like I said, it, it's this could wonderful piece of art to just have on the cover. Period. We're very we are very pleased and excited to have it uh, to have that for our cover. We pride ourselves on the quality of our covers and uh, at the at the uh, for our Dragonlance Nexus products. And this is um, of course Jeff Easley is you know it doesn't get much better. So we are thrilled to be having this. Uh, to have that piece for our cover. I've been fortunate. I've been fortunate to have artwork from both uh, both Jeff and uh, Larry Elmore. So I'm, I'm I've I've been very fortunate with a lot of the work that I had. So, and 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 I just I would say in terms of the products the, from the Dragonlance Nexus, that one reason I was I was had no qualms about working with these guys is because working with other guys is because I've I've seen the quality already that of the other Dragonlance Nexus products, and that that means we have no fear whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, that, that I'd made any sort of wrong decision about who I was partnering up with. I couldn't have asked for a better partner. Well, we well, were privileged to you. work with yes. you. And I have to say, like, even when we first started working and, you know, you, uh, myself and the team and, uh, you know, Trampus and Chuck and Tim and, and William and, and some of the other folks, we met with you early on last year or at the end of last year to kind of discuss the project. And, uh, you know, I, I had myself a little a little uh, uh, fanboy moment because I was like, man, I'm, I'm talking to Richard Mack. And, I mean, your novel, you know, The Legend of Huma was the after I read the original trilogy was the next book that I had read. And I very much identified with it, especially with Kaz. And this is silly, but like I was always a Star Trek fan. And Worf was one of my favorite characters. And I feel like Kaz and Worf have similarities. And so it really, really like. Yeah, just a sense of honor, and not, they're not the same characters, but it like grabbed me in his character, and and of course human, and it was just something that you know, it, it was the next book that I had read even before Legends, and it's one of my favorites and always has been. So thank you. Well, thank you for enjoying it so much. I'm pleased. I'm pleased that people have enjoyed it so much, and the people have taken to Kaz so much. When I was a teenager, I had a friend who. Uh, who was sort of interested in getting into Dragonlance, but he didn't want to commit to this whole, uh, to reading the whole Chronicles trilogy. So I was like, hey, read this one. And I gave him my copy of Legend of Huma to read. And then he ended up going on to read the whole series. So you were his That's introduction. Cool. You were his introduction uh, to Dragonlance. And I was like, Ed, I, I, went, I went from, I went from, um, I did sort of like Ed, I went Chronicles, then I did the Legends trilogy, and then I went back and read Legend of Huma. And I think it's sort of a repeating theme, I think, on on the net, on the Facebook group when people say, like, oh, I'm I want to start with Dragonlance, where should I start? There's there's always one of two answers. It's always either Dragons of Autumn Twilight by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, or start with the Legend of Huma. Because Legend of the Huma because Legend of Huma works as sort of a standalone story as well. Um, it's very often recommended, so I know people still love it. And people are still actively reading it and discussing it to this day. Absolutely, uh, believe me, I'm always honored by that. <laughs> Speaking of Kaz, I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, so for you, you're writing. You wrote this short story, The Colony, um, for our book. I wanted to know sort of what was the experience for you like of diving back into this character because it's been. I mean, it's been quite a long time since since we saw Kaz um, as sort of the center of his own story. Well, on, on the one hand, I have been writing Minotaurs for a while already since Kaz. First, it's the number of Minotaurs store novels and stories for Dragonlance, obviously. But also, I have my own series, Rex Draconis, 
which has minotaurs in it as well, which are very much influenced by my, obviously my Kaz sort of character. So on the, on the respective sort of minotaurs, I was very comfortable. Coming back to Kaz himself, um, that was like, you know, saying hi to a really old friend mm. or, or maybe even a part of me that, uh, that had been, you know, hiding, waiting in the shadows for a long time. Um, I was just thrilled to be able to use him. I wanted to make sure I got the, the other, the other members of his group in there because it, you know, it would have been, it wouldn't be right otherwise. And also, but, uh, but everything, everything started coming back together. As soon as I started, started thinking about where he would be at this point and, and, uh, how he would be. And I went through, uh, I went through both, I went through all the novels that he was in just to remind myself of what he'd been through. And also the short story I wrote a long time ago, Kaz and the Dragon's Children, just to just to give the feel back to him. And uh, but it really wasn't a big problem for me. Like I said, Kaz is a part of me. You know, here I'm, I'm bullheaded. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Kaz is Kaz is, is what Kaz is, will always be one of the most um, strongest characters in terms of me um, that I have written if i if people remember me is especially for Kaz, i won't have a problem with that <laughs> because i just love the way i was able to make him uh be real for so many people so that that made the store that made going back to the store a pleasure and i hope to go back to him again assuming people like this enough mm-hmm. oh we are more than ready uh, and, and I, <laughs> I do want something, to say something you know, tells me it's going to do quite well so i don't think we uh, need to we I have a, a sneaking suspicion, yes, <laughs> but I, I do want to say a little bit about the adventure itself. Um, what I what I loved about working on this book was not only is do we we get some new fiction for our favorite character, but when we talk about Minotaurs, we went in deep to the whole history of of the Minotaur. We in the Nexus, we try not to say races, we say ancestries. We've been using ancestries in all our books, and. So when we talk about the Minotaur ancestry, we talk where they started on, on Talados and came to Ancelon and back and forth. We give you all the history, the options. You get you get three different ancestry or sub races, you know, for your five E heads. Um, our subclasses, sub, sub, yeah, subclasses too. No, no. You oh don't. yeah, our, our subclasses are are um, definitely maritime or you know seafaring types. Um, but there's there's even a spellcaster for the sorcerer. Um, there's a uh, a mariner fighter subclass, uh, and there's also a rogue subclass, which is more for a a sneaky sailor. Um, we're gonna have new magic items. Uh, we're gonna have stat blocks even for Kaz and and all of the group mentioned in the short story. Uh, and then of course the adventure. Uh, the adventure is a five part adventure that. You guys start in a pirate city and have to kind of find a map to get to the colony uh, and help Kaz and his people uh, fight your way out. You're going to meet some gnomish settlers along the way out in the open ocean, and that that has its own set of crazy. Um, we're going to stop at different islands with spellcasters and, of course, going to the to the, uh, the the lost colony itself and all the hijinks that, that ensue there. So we are very, very excited. I got to say, I, I know I, as you were talking, I heard, you know, some of the various elements that I had hand, that handed off to you guys for the for the story and adventure. And and you've you've taken you've taken those and blended them, 
with so much other stuff that uh, that you brought to you guys brought to the the game that um I, I mean it's just gonna be it's gonna be such a big thorough and and very useful and entertaining uh hopefully collection for anyone wanting to use minotaurs in, in general I really like these subclasses uh because for two reasons one thing the so the mariner the fighter uh, the fighter subclass is inspired by sort of the uh, the 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 seafaring minotaur sort of archetype, um, mm-hmm. and it's an intelligence-based fighter, which I thought was really interesting. Like it has a lot of skills that depend on intelligence, um, and I like well, that idea. So minotaurs cannot be stupid; they have too much accomplished to be stupid. Yeah, <laughs> they have to be very exactly. clever. They're very they're. Uh, a highly intelligent, highly sophisticated society, uh, about as far away from the 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 brutish monsters lurking in dungeons um, from the old old days. Um, their society is sort of every bit as advanced as any other society on Kryn. Um, so I like the idea that these minotaurs, as these characters who use not only their strength but also their wits and their knowledge of the sea and their understanding of ships to sort of to use to their advantage. Um, and of course, the Sea Marauder, that's our rogue subclass, is very much this sort of pirate archetype. And then the Sorcerer subclass, which is if you're interested in playing a magical minotaur, it doesn't have to be a minotaur, this could work for any uh, for any kind of character, but um, it, it is would work especially well for a minotaur, is this uh, subclass called the Rageborn Sorcerer, where basically they draw it it's it's almost like a, a fusion between a barbarian and a sorcerer so a, uh, a barbarian is power, sort of powered by their rage this sorcerer is also powered by their rage so you've got all these different these different sort of interpretations of what a minotaur can be um in this setting and i think that's really cool and that's really a lot of fun and i'm hoping people will i'm hoping people will really dig these and in terms of uh, magic users, I mean, I have put, uh, I have uh, actually written once a um, a, a wizard, a minotaur wizard too. So uh, if we don't have enough on that sort of particular magic, you know, maybe at another volume we can even include something more on that. Uh, um, if anybody's read the Ogre Titans trilogy, they know who I'm talking about. I believe he is oh, yeah. mentioned in the book. He is mentioned in the book. Um, the, okay, magical, cool. the magical, the magical minotaur. I've gone through, I've gone, I've gone through some of the material, but I, I want, but I, yeah, there's so much more to still see, but mm. that I wait till they've got it all compiled the right <laughs> way, so I can look it over thoroughly. So, yeah, we, uh, we like this to go, really, we, really good group efforts. We like to go deep in the lore when it comes to, when it comes to our setting books. That's cool. Leave no, leave no stone unturned. We definitely did that for this. I'm very happy about that. Believe me. <laughs> And you were kind enough to provide us with a great wealth of material to draw from. Um, not every I, I, not every I, group I, is so well developed. Well, I, I had I had a couple of chances during the the during the Dragonlance years to uh, write background material for uh, reference material for the Minotaurs, which uh, really which I was happy to do, and which I I'm glad that we were able to draw upon for this too, uh, amongst all the other stuff that was done. It it. Honestly, um, I, I I think the Minotaurs have ended up being more studied in depth than a lot of other things on on Quinn. Yeah, I I agree, and I think that's I think when Dragonlance fans, I think they they're 
their culture really resonates with a lot of Dragonlance fans, partially partially because you've just created this fascinating portrait of of a society that can that is very much different than the rest of the society, but also clearly has its own sort of place in the world, and it has its own um, its own system and culture that's really easy to draw upon for games because it's presented so well and so clearly um, and in such rich detail. Um, the book contains a lot of reference material uh, specifically about Minotaur culture. Um, there's a history of uh, the Minotaur Empire that exists off the eastern coast of Ancelon. Um, and I was reading through it preparing for this uh, for this discussion and I was I was amazed at how how grim the Minotaur history is. I suppose it makes sense that such a um, a strong and fearsome people would have, come from this from this uh these brutal backgrounds but they've been enslaved and and rebelled numerous times they've been used by different different groups and different deities sort of as like their as their pawns and it's uh, it's an interesting story of sort of resilience of how these culture this culture keeps bouncing back from what might have you know what might have meant their destruction and how that sort of forged them into the people that they are. I was really interested in a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about, just sort of broadly about Minotaur culture. Um, I noticed that there's this there's this uh, emphasis on the games and one-on-one -on -one combat, sort of to determining who rules their society. Um, I thought it was really interesting this idea of this idea of not not just combat to determine who is the strongest and who's the leader but performative combat. You know, you don't just, you do it in front of everybody, like on this big stage. And I thought that was really fascinating. And that got me thinking about, like, why is it so important, do you think, to Minotaurs that uh, not just to be brave and fearsome, but to have an audience at the same time? What is it about Min the Minotaur character that they're, that they're so, they're such showmen? You know, they their combat has to be in front of these great groups of people. And in the Legends trilogy, we see this group of Minotaurs fighting in the games at Istar. What is it about the, the Minotaurs' internal drive that they need to sort of prove themselves to, 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 to others? Well, they have this innate sense that they are destined for great things. But at the same time, they've also been crushed more than once by other races and enslaved. And when you've when you've gone through a lot of hell like that, and yet you feel that you you deserve more, um, you want to be able to show off your strength. You want to be able to prove to those people that prove to others that you are far more than they think you are. And uh, and I would say, and that is one reason why they ha they are willing to do their tournaments, do their do your join in other places to prove their their prowess in, in battle and stuff there uh it's a, it's it's a it's a drive to um to push away the, the 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 failures of the past of the race and to um push themselves toward the destiny that they that they've told themselves they deserve whether right or wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> so um and being who they are you know when you get this kind of mindset they are stubborn and uh, they've they've kind of be a race that lives and dies by by that by the credo. They um, 
they they are they they feel they must be deserving of more must be worthy of more that they will be masters of the world because they've been slaves and, and crushed by others in the past and uh you know, creatures that to them are neither strong nor cunning and yet somehow have gotten the the upper hand on them mm-hmm. you know maybe there's some blind spots in because of that when you see you know, when you think of it but um, like I said, they're an incredibly stubborn race. I thought it was interesting. Another aspect I noticed when I was reading through our our um, the supplement that's in this book about Minotaurs this this interesting diversity of religion among the among the Minotaurs. So we know that the primary god of the Minotaurs is the god Sargonis that they call Sargas, who is usually portrayed as this sort of god of fire and vengeance and it's it's very fitting for a certain aspect of the minotaur character um yet on the other hand they also revere kiri jalith who is the the god of sort of like righteous combat and and honorable combat you've got the one the one god who's sort of squarely in the the dark pantheon and then you've got another one carrie jolliffe who's like squarely in the light pantheon i think it's really interesting that you've got this one group of people who has dedication to these deities which would seem from the outside so different and yet they sort of both have roles within that culture and of course since they are a seafaring people they also are very uh keen not to upset the sea goddess zebowin uh, they make their right. sacrifices before they go to sea. Um, I just thought it was—I just thought it was really interesting that this group has this sort of diversity of religious practice. But it's also kind of fitting because they have a lot of. Um, there's a lot of—I don't want to say contradictions in their nature, but a lot of different uh, sort of different drives that they have. And I think it's kind of reinforced by these well, different influences. Well, and the Minotaurs, Minotaurs respect certain things. They respect power, obviously. They respect honor. And, you know, the gods that they have, the the, main, the three main gods that you can say for them, um, all carry those things. I mean, even and Sargonis is is honorable in his own way, so he, still, he fits into them in that regard as well, uh, um, as opposed to Curry Joloth, who is honor also. But they're different aspects. Like, you know, here's... You know, both honorable gods, but the, the uh, those two play the different sides of the of the Minotaur psyche, you still would say. And uh, of course, being a race that's mostly on islands, um, and they know the power of the sea, and so obviously Zebo- they have to respect Zeboam because you know the, the sea can be very mercurial, and yet it's so powerful that you cannot just ignore that. So Zebo- so of course, Zeboam is also power. Um, and that's, of course, why she is uh, like I, the third, one of the three mage gods, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I, you know, so you, not really, you hardly ever see him talk about Tachesis or, <laughs> no. or Paladine, even. No. Or Paladine, even. You yeah. know? So I think that the gods, I think that the gods, the three, those three gods make perfect sense for the, for the Minotaurs. And each one offers something that really draws Minotaurs to them. And you can even get some alliance in terms of some things, at least between uh, Curry Joloth and Sargonis, might be a little bit harder to get uh, Sargonis a bone to pay attention, except maybe she she might pay attention to Sargonis, but even then. 
So I'm, I'm not entirely surprised that these three gods would it would be of great value to the Minotaurs. Uh, the Minotaur, there's different groups of Minotaurs um, that are discussed in the book. So we have, of course, a lot of information about the sort of traditional uh, Minotaur empire um, as it exists. Um, we also discuss the Kazalati, the descendants of Kaz and his companions, who sort of went their own way as a uh, uh, like an offshoot from the from the main empire. Main empire. We have mm-hmm. uh, we discuss a little bit about the Minotaurs of Talidas. Um, and then we talk also about the uh, the dangerous and fearsome Thoradorian Minotaur. And all of these are presented in the book as playable options. So if you are interested in, in your character as a representative of any one of these particular groups, we have some options that you can use to kind of tweak the baseline Minotaur to make them feel a bit more as if they 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 have been changed and shaped by their particular background. Um, it's quite a variety to them, yeah. There's also really interesting things in this book regarding ships, because of course we know that the the Minotaurs are so, uh, like you said, they they're they're an island dwelling people, and they're so focused on their the life at sea. Sailing is very important to them, and we have some really excellent ship rules uh, rules for traveling by ship, rules for ship combat, ship repairs, nautical mishaps. Um, different weather, how different weather can affect sailing. So if anybody's out there listening who's interested in doing a nautical campaign in Dragonlance and uh, or a Minotaur-based campaign, um, we've got a lot of options right in there for uh, for how you can make the idea of sailing, make the idea of seafaring and a naval culture really come to life um, in your setting. And of course, if you want to really know about how to make about Minotaur culture. If you want the the deep dive, the deep details, make sure to check out Richard's books, which are all available currently uh, on Amazon. Um, Richard, I know we are getting uh, close to time, so I wanted to thank you from me personally, from the Dragonlance Nexus as a whole, from uh, from our fans and our listeners. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. This has truly been a privilege for me um, to be able to to sit down and talk with you and to hear your stories and to listen to your ideas. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with us. Uh, is there any uh, any last words that you'd like to say about any um, new or upcoming projects that you'd like to promote or um, or how we can, how listeners can follow you either online or on social media? Well, if they, if they want to go to, I'm mostly on Facebook in terms of the social media. So if they go to uh, uh, Richard A. Knack um, on Facebook, they could uh, follow me there. I also take, I also started a subscriber thing um, uh, for for a certain post that only the subscribers will see. Uh, in general, I pop into the Dragonlance groups, uh, especially Dragonlance Nexus and Dragonlance. So you can find me there. Uh, I do have another Dragonlance-related project in mind already. But oh my goodness. I think we'll hold off and I think we'll, we'll hold off <laughs> a little bit on what that's going to be. Spoilers. Right, Ed? <laughs> yeah, stay tuned. Join <laughs> us on the Facebook group so you can get all the, the latest updates when they come. Yeah. And of course, I'm working on my other projects such as Rex Draconis. And if anybody enjoys urban fantasy, please check out my critically acclaimed Black City Saint series. Oh, and if you like Minotaurs, going back to, you should definitely check out 
Honor and Empire, the Minotaur Tales, which, while set in my Rex Draconis world, Tiberius will read it. Will read a lot like the sort of Minotaur stories that I wrote for uh, Dragonlance. So it's five. It's five novellas, and there's definitely one that Dragonlance fans would be interested in. Uh, actually, there's 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 another one too. Especially, um, I have taken the knight and minotaur relationship to extreme, and I have created a minotaur knight. So that is an, an interesting character. His name is Cade. So um, minotaur fans should definitely check out my minotaur tales uh, collection. We're going to have links for all of this. So anybody listening, if you go to uh, dragonlancenexus.com slash podcast, um, you will see there are there will be links for all of uh, Richard's work that you can access if you'd like to um, to see what he's up to or to, to purchase any of his works. Um, so again, thank you so much, Richard. Ed, do you have any final last words? Uh, just stay tuned to the Nexus social media. Uh, you can just Dragonlance Nexus search on Facebook and on Twitter or Deal Nexus on Twitter. Um, and we'll be we'll probably have a couple posts out before we drop the book, maybe uh, spoiling some art or I don't know, whatever, whatever we feel like to kind of what your whistle to get you through to, to this weekend. OK, well, thank you. Uh, thank you to both of you. Thank you to everybody who worked on this project. Thank you for the fans. Thank you to the fans for listening and for always supporting the Dragonlance Nexus until we see you again. Long live Kaz and long live the Lance. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, thank you. Bye, thanks.